Hello, and welcome to GradCast, the official podcast and radio show for the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. I am your host tonight, Gavin Talamedi, and I am joined with... Monica Molinaro. And uh, we are talking with Alex Mayhew from the Library Catalog Sciences. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well, thank you. Excellent. So, um, in your department, uh, is it just called Library Catalog Sciences, or is it part of a bigger... Library and Information Science. We're part Library of the Faculty Science. of Information and Media Studies, so we also have Media Studies, uh, uh, Journalism, and uh, Health Information Science. Oh, wow, so a lot. <laughs> so, uh, so in your line of research, uh, what is it that you particularly look at? Uh, personally, I look at uh, trying to create a new cataloging paradigm, effectively. So currently, uh, library catalogs, if you've used them, you might have used the Dewey Decimal System or something like that before, trying to figure out where the books are on shelves. Um, that's, that's one way of organizing books. Another way is in the online catalog, uh, what the current system does is it tries to imagine each text as text can be like a book, a movie, piece of music. It's just a generic term. Uh, as a pure, unadulterated form. Like, if you're familiar with a Platonic uh, theory from philosophy, you have Plato's form that exists up in Platonic heaven, and real things are imperfect reflections of them or shadows of them in the real world. So the classic example is if you have a bunch of trees in the real world, you have oak trees, maple trees. Up in Platonic heaven, there's a perfect form of a tree, and all these real trees are actually... Uh, imperfect reflections or shadows of that perfect form. That's how uh, catalogs, uh, online catalogs, imagine books. There's the perfect version of them, and that's what you're actually looking for in the catalog, which is very weird, and I don't think that's how the real world actually works. So I'm trying to create a new paradigm, and a new cataloging system will emerge from that paradigm. I just find it very uh, strange that with the the platonic view that they think this is like the perfect representation of as you said an example a tree but that's coming from like one person's perspective yeah, that's what i was going to ask is like whoever's in charge of cataloging it's coming from their interpretation of what this particular text is and that person isn't i guess the objective truth teller or truth knower so how is it that things are being organize objectively or in this reduced essence of whatever they are. That is definitely one of the big problems. Like um, one of the classic examples is uh, uh, earlier versions of some of Shakespeare's plays. Some of them have what's called a first folio edition, some have a second uh, and a second folio edition. And the question is, which of these, and they are sometimes um, substantially different in content or ending, which of these is the canonical version, which is the work, which is the platonic form that our library should be referencing. Uh, my contention is the work is not useful here. The idea of the platonic form is not useful. These are both texts that exist. One is um, descended from the other, and many other things are descended from both of them. To take uh, Hamlet as an example, uh, we can see that Perhaps the Lion King is somewhat descended from it. It inherits uh, many of the attributes. Many of the characters have a one-to-one -one correlation. Uh, you might like Rosencrest and Guildenstern. You might also like Timon and Pumbaa. They are very analogous, and you can see that there's a connection there, that uh, if you focus on the forms of, of these works, isn't going to be obvious in a library catalog. I guess my question stemming from that is, why does it matter? Why does it have to be this 
objective form? Does it have to be that? So the reason why the, uh, the current cataloging people do it that way is because they're under the impression that it doesn't matter if their model of reality is, useful, is accurate as long as it's useful. Um, and it does do the job well enough. Library catalogs do work. My contention is having a more accurate model of reality uh, will make for a more useful tool in ways that we might not be able to predict beforehand. So instead of having the platonic forms uh, and our library catalogs try to point to those and get you to uh, find the, the, the perfect version of them, this is very roughly how it works. It's, there's a lot more detail that I'm skipping over here. Um, my idea is to try and imagine the bibliographic universe, all the books, all the movies, all the texts, as existing sort of on a timeline where they are descended from one another. You have a text that inherits certain properties and attributes, not just from earlier texts, but also from the, the cultural milieu that the author was exposed to while writing them. So to go back to the uh, Lion King and Hamlet example, uh, Simba is the prodigal hero because Hamlet was. Uh, Scar was the treacherous uncle because whoever the uncle was and Hamlet was. Um, and this sort of inheritance is what defines a text a whole lot more than some well, in my opinion, made up platonic form that people are trying to fit uh, works into. So I don't think it does matter <laughs> what the what the uh, current people think. Okay. So follow-up question from that then. If someone were to conduct, and I understand you might be extrapolating here, but if someone were to conduct a search of maybe one of Shakespeare's works in the catalog, how would your model look different? How would the results look different in the model that you're trying to create versus what is currently out there? So one of the things that I do in my work is I try and do many things at once, which is not always the best thing to do, but it's, it's, it's a habit I have. Um, so one of the things that changing the paradigm, the cataloging paradigm does, is it gives us the opportunity to bring in something that doesn't currently exist in catalogs, and that's user participation. So if we have the ability for average users, people who use the catalog and uh, want to make use of it, to enter in information that they think is valuable, that means that if uh, a professional cataloger hasn't entered in the um, was influenced by relationship between Hamlet and, and the Lion King, then a user can, and they can, they can just add that in under this new model. That's allowed, uh, in fact, encouraged. Uh, if you look at uh, the classic example of user participation and uh, user-created uh, resources, Wikipedia, it is far more robust, far more extensive, and in many cases, far more accurate than the uh, traditionally curated uh, analogous information source, uh, something like Encyclopedia Britannica. And that sort of user participation revolution is what I'm trying to incorporate along the same t at the same time as trying to change the way of thinking about how, uh, how information is organized. So it's able to, with this user participation, we'll be able to slowly adapt the cataloging system and eventually, after, let's say, 10 years of users inputting all this new information, 
it would slowly become more refined, more robust. It'd be able to find certain texts, like being very specific, very a lot. Let's say not you'd immediately find them, but you would find it a lot easier than it constantly taking you back. Like, well, here's the original work. Figure it out from there. It's like that's not really what I'm looking for. By making the model um, focusing on lines of descent, we can actually import ideas from other fields. For example, biology. Uh, this is effectively mimetic evolution. Um, understanding and organizing uh, the line of descents of tropes and memes in the traditional sense, not just the online captioned Also, can you define cats. what a traditional sense of memes uh, The is. traditional sense of meme is um, a, a unit of cultural inheritance. It can be something as simple as uh, a phrase like, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. That is an idea that gets stuck in the head and is repeated and uh, passed on to others. And it is it doesn't exist in isolation. It interacts with other uh, pieces of information. But it's not just a fact about the world. It's an idea. Um, so yeah, as I said, we could import um, the theory of evolution from from biology and say, okay, so so if texts are analogous to species, we can imagine that um, texts emerge into the world through these lines of descent, through this um, descent with modification. There is, the memes get changed over time. Um, there is uh, notable differences, to take the Hamlet and Lion King example, uh, between the two texts. In uh, drama works, as opposed to comedies, uh, the the comedic characters tend to be killed off or sent away before the final climax. In comedies, they stick around. So that shift from one genre to another uh, means that Tobon and Pumbaa actually get to stick around, which is an interesting uh, small detail. But one of the uh, powerful things that we can do by bringing in uh, the biology um, uh, tools is we can actually start to map things onto biological diagrams. We can have cladograms of all the texts that have the treacherous uncle in it, or the prodigal hero, or the star-crossed lovers. We can have uh, family trees of actual lines of descent. So uh, recently I was looking into all the texts that Shakespeare referenced while writing Romeo and Juliet. And there are quite a few, uh, at least according to Wikipedia, the best source ever. Uh, and some of them are actually descended from one another. So there's this ancient one from uh, Ovid's Metamorphosis called Pyramids and Thisbe. It's got uh, three or four descendants, each of which have two or three descendants, each of which fed into Romeo and Juliet. So is, it, is Romeo and Juliet descended from Pyramid and Thisbe? Yeah, multiple times in different ways. And so you could actually have a family tree displayed in the catalog itself showing that line of descent if that's what you're interested in or if you're interested in um, uh, the intersection between the line of descent of one text like all the things that were made on the basis of War of the Worlds say and you wanted to see this particular trope like the star-crossed lovers well there was no star-crossed lovers in the original War of the Worlds but some of its descendant texts do and that might be interesting uh, it has a much uh, you know, cruder and easier application when you're dealing with academic works because citations lend themselves directly to this sort of uh, dissent with modification idea. Right. With that then, the question that kind of comes up for me is, 
at least in the things you've mentioned, they've been a little bit more general concepts that could have these lineages or have these connections throughout different types of whatever subjects, histories, whatever it could be. What if you're searching for something that's pretty concrete? Like, if that's the case, how does what you're proposing beat this current platonic model? So what happens, I think, is that there will be other people in the world who will, through their own experiences, have come across connections and uh, uh, connections that you just haven't uh, thought of because you have different experience than them. If they've entered those connections into the system, then when you look at the entry on the particular text you're looking for, you'll have the opportunity to see those connections that you would never have thought of because you're able to crowdsource the collective wisdom of all of humanity. That's a little grandiose, but that's the <laughs> whole. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, I think I'm playing a little bit of devil's advocate here. Please do. Yeah, in that, um, could it potentially be, you know, you're looking for something relatively specific and you go and conduct a search for this and under your model, couldn't the results just be muddled by all of these connections and things that are sort of related to what you're looking for but aren't exactly what you're looking for? So the ability to filter uh, is very, very important. I imagine that um, the default setting would be something along the lines of uh, show me just all the different editions of this book and it'll be a diagram at the bottom of the search results and you won't need to worry about it too much. But if you are interested in all the esoteric connections that might exist out there, uh, that becomes an entire new search interface. Uh, so one of the points is I want to be able to do everything the current model can do. And the current model is great for exactly the sort of thing you're talking about. So I want to be able to do all that and as far as I can tell, I can. But I also think that I want to do more. So as long as I can maintain all the current functionality, adding in uh, extra functionality is my goal. Okay. And this extra functionality, is this something that you would obtain? Um, it would just be interladen within the system? Or is it more so like, oh, I'm looking for something direct, so I'm going to use this model. If I want something that's maybe a little bit more abstract or I want to find the connections with this, you can kind of flip. Like there's a switch being like, oh, I want to use this cataloging system instead of this cataloging system. It would be, a, it would be at first, a, a, a new layer on top of the existing system. But going forward, uh, it would be most robust if the entire system was natively philomimetically uh, uh, enabled, philomimetically uh, based, in fact. That's what I call the model, actually, philomimetic cataloging. Um, but it's interesting that uh, the sort of connections that I envision people uh, adding into the system are actually semantic uh, add-ons. So. Currently, Wikipedia is not semantically enabled. Uh, there is an add-on for Wikipedia called uh, the Semantic Media Wiki, which if you uh, take a copy of Wikipedia and put it in there, you can actually make it so that the server understands, I'm making finger quotes here, uh, that there is a relationship between, say, Berlin and Germany, that that relationship is capital of. Now, these sorts of uh, semantic connections exist in bunch of databases around the web, but currently they're isolated and they don't really talk well with each other. Previously, uh, library databases, things like authority files, uh, which say, here is what we know about this author or this book or this thing, and it's just the, uh, 
consolidated list of things that exist have been very useful for making certain uh, web projects work. This would, my project, if successful, would be the next step of that. It would create a semantic database that other projects could build upon um, and also would be able to interact uh, with those other semantic databases. So it's, we're getting a little far afield here, but in principle, uh, this could enable the Web 3.0 that we've been hearing about or Web 4.0, whichever one we're on, uh, to actually work. Because the semantic web has been touted for a long time, but not much has actually happened that users can interact with. This would be something users would be able to interact with. So with that, have you thought about if this were the case where it's user-friendly or people are able to contribute, realistically, how long would it take to build up a catalog like that? Well, it would never finish. And probably just to quickly add to that, would you be looking for a specific um, type of people to, at first, add on to? Sort of. Um, one of the reasons Wikipedia actually started uh, particularly well is because its initial corpus of information was actually the uh, public domain 1911 Encyclopedia Britannica. I just stole those articles and put them up there and then people developed from there. So it might be nice if uh, the initial communities that were um, given priority access to adding in their uh, their uh, preferred semantic relationship links would be things like um, specialized communities that already deal with it. So you can imagine fandoms that have particular interest in a, in a particular type of media, Star Trek, Star Wars, uh, Victorian literature. There's a whole website called Victorian Web that is all about trying to map all the different uh, authors of the Victorian age and how they relate to one another. Scholarly communities are an obvious uh, example as well. People who have a great investment in their own field and would want it to be accurately represented. Because um, this works beyond just books, right? Uh, uh, scholarly articles would uh, easily be susceptible to this. But other sources like movies, media? Absolutely. Like, okay. I was actually talking to a patent lawyer, and they would really like the ability to have uh, typed connections between different patents so that they can more easily reference who's infringing upon who. And this would work for that system as well. I do, at my gr biggest ambition, I want to be able to create a framework that can capture all of human creative output. Well, that's casual. <laughs> Only humans. I mean, there's... <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I'm not working on dolphins yet. Oh my god! Yet, this sounds like like a really big um database, but it does. From what you've said, if we got it to work, it would make things a lot easier for not just for people going to libraries, but if it sounds very interdisciplinary, and you could adapt it to, as you said, law firms could use it. I'm sure medic hospitals could use it for helping them keep organized records, tracks. Uh, procedures. So Absolutely. this would be a publicly available catalog. It's yes. not like you would need to be a member of a particular institution right. or something to access it. Right. So um, currently there exists something called WorldCat. It is a union catalog of all cataloging records, more or less, in the world. Uh, you can't actually check out books from it, but it tells you what exists and it can direct you to your local library to um, either get it or get it via interlibrary loan. This would be an extension of that idea. It would be, you know, the one collection of uh, library records to rule them all. 
and uh, it would become more and more robust over time. In fact, if you were able to uh, combine it with something like Google Books uh, or the Hathi Trust Initiative, you might even be able to apply big data or machine learning to it and say, well, here's what we think connections already exist, and here's the text that we think those connections are. Can you tell us any more connections that you might think exist? You might even be able to automatically have the system generate uh, suggested relationships, but also things like, we think this author actually wrote this book because we can see these sorts of connections between them. Uh, more interestingly, in my opinion, is you might actually be able to uh, make the system generate logical inferences. For example, a um, very, very crude example, we know that the Lion King must have been influenced by Hamlet and not the other way around because we know when they were written. So you might be able to start chaining things like that together and be able to, when people input information, say, that can't be possible. The timelines don't uh, match up. The, this sort of uh, uh, relationship inheritance is not logically possible the way you said it. Something's going on here. And that means that it's a place for actually scientific investigation, especially if you're looking at uh, scientific articles. Yeah, I know for me, it's always having to, if I have like a very recent paper, I have to slowly dig down for where the whole, uh, when did the hypothesis start? Where did this method come from? Did they get these results? Was it their own results or did they have to take it from other papers? And if so, where those papers were they? And then the same process until you find the, the you won't know if it's the original, yeah. but it's the oldest one you can That would be a perfect use of a cladogram, right? It, cladograms don't show you what the original one it was, but it does show you the earliest one you have record of. And so you look at your cladogram and say, ah, that's where this method originated. A, med a method of investigation is a meme just like any other. It'd be a, an academic meme, but more scholarly meme. Um, and yeah, they would show up on a cladogram nice and easy, do the job for you. And that only needs to be done once, and everyone has it. I think you're sold, Gavin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've gone by so I've gone by so far using Google Scholar, but I'm always interested to try out new. Have you ever used systems. the uh, what's it called? Google Ngrams? Uh, no, I've not. I've well. never heard of that. Oh, uh, I recommend everyone Google. Nick is nodding Ingrams. in the background, <laughs> as in he has used it and giving so I have some a thumbs feeling, up. Nick, so you've used this before. <laughs> Nick is the one person that has used it in this so room. I think uh, Google Ngrams is really fascinating. Um, I think my system, in principle, would be able to do the same thing, but at a much more robust level, because you'd be able to see what connections people think are important between two texts at any given time in history after the the the, the system goes operational. So you'd be able to see that. Um, for example, uh, people might think that The Hunger Games was really influenced by Harry Potter at this point in time. But after a long time, people forgot that that connection was uh, relevant. I don't know if that's a real connection, but as an example. Um, and so it's almost like a cultural snapshot, uh, which you could, which could be really fascinating basis, uh, base of analysis itself. Okay. I'm trying to do a lot of things at once. Well, okay, this is my follow-up question to all of this is, at the end of the day, you finish your PhD, what's your end goal for the end of your PhD? Because a lot of this, it nice sounds tropical great. tropical island. Yeah, it's like, yeah, private jet, yeah. all those things. It sounds very grandiose, and maybe you can achieve that in the time span of a PhD. I'm not sure, but I guess for you, 
with all of these big ideas, where are you kind of hoping that you end up when you finish? So my supervisor has always told me that this is the sort of project a person does at their end of their career, not at their beginning. Uh, <laughs> God. Yeah. Sounds, like, sounds like you're reversing everything here. <laughs> well, I figure if you know where you want to be, just go there first. So. Mm. Yeah, you know what? I mean, I think a lot of grad students should think about that. <laughs> so I don't actually expect the idea to be taken up by the cataloging community. I don't expect it to be uh, adopted en masse. But I think it is the best chance I have of making those interesting connections available to people doing research just slightly faster than currently it, uh, are currently being done, which means that if I could do it, I would have... Uh, a cumulative effect on the rate of progress of the entire world that would just keep on accumulating and compounding generation after generation. That would be amazing. And so despite the fact that I think I have a very low chance of actually pulling it off, it's still worth trying because it's the best chance I have of actually making the world a better place. Good mindset. You never know if something can happen unless you try first. Yeah, True. with that, do you also have to develop a prototype, or is this more so all conceptual? I don't have to, but I am going to try to. Uh, so what I am doing is uh, the Semantic Media Wiki uh, software that I mentioned before. I take that, I set up a wiki that uh, I will personally just encode some information in. Then I will download the semantic files that are generated by that process, uh, RDF triples if anyone cares, uh, and then I will upload those triples to some sort of graphing software, Gephi or something like that, and show that yes, in fact, these uh, cladograms and family trees are generatable uh, on the basis of of the information that I that I input there. It'll be very crude. It will not be user friendly at all, but it would be a proof of principle that these concepts do work. Okay. Yeah, and uh, you know what? I could probably talk about this for hours on end, but we are coming near the end of our show. So, if, if Alex, if anyone wanted to contact you to ask you more about this new cataloging system, uh, where could they find you? All right. Easiest way is just email me, A-M-A-Y-H-E-W at U-W-O dot C-A. Um, yeah, that's it. I don't do social media. That's fair there. <laughs> okay. Is there anything else you wanted to plug or for people to know? Absolutely. Uh, so I also work on a podcast. It's called So What? The podcast about library and information science and why it matters. Uh, you can find us at uh, Um I'm also working on the Freedom of Expression uh, Committee. We're working on having a panel discussion this coming September 25th. It's going to be uh, from 6 to 8 p.m. It's at uh, UC 3110. And I uh, hope everyone's there if you care about freedom of expression. Awesome. Thanks so much, Alex. Um, to finish things off, I'm Monica Molinero. And I'm Gavin Telemetti. And this has been GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at GradCast Radio. You can listen to us uh, on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, or wherever else you listen to podcasts, or 94.9 CHRW here at Western. You can also go to our website, gradcast.ca, or if you want to get in contact with us, our email address is gradcastradio at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. The Gradcast theme tune has been composed for us by Matthew Becker. Sweet.